0: We appreciate you doing this. We understand your time's you know valuable and important to you. So, yeah, I'm Jimmy. This is Coach B, also known as Brian. Uh, Yeah. Anything you want to add, Brian?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, we just we appreciate this. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's it's an honor to be to be talking to someone as as important as you are for sure. We're just regular dudes. I
2: appreciate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get started, we like kind of jumping into the football and, you know, your career and, you know, all the motivational speaking you do. I'm, I am curious to learn a little bit about you. I see that you, you're living in like near Portland or in Portland?
3: Yeah, yeah Westland.
0: Oh, Westland. Okay. Yeah, I live mm-hmm. in Portland. So, um, okay. Yeah, I think that's cool. That you live out there. That's nice.
2: Yeah. Sweet. We, we like it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think maybe we'll just start there. So, um, you know, from what we gathered, we learned that you you know your family's military and you moved around a lot as a kid um you know how did you end up in Oregon or how did you end up going to the you know University of Oregon to play football there
3: man you know it was it was one of those things that um i I really like the colors, man <laughs> I really like <laughs> green and yellow um goes, but kid. like really like seriously man it was the connection i had with the with the coach that was recruiting me the name was coach Neil Zumbuko coach Zoom and so it's just you know his the way he recruited me it wasn't it was it was perfect like he didn't come off as a salesman like he didn't mm-hmm. come off like a used car salesman it was really like authentic relationship and you know, he used to ask me back in 1990, the first thing we hop on the phone, it was, it was never about how many touchdowns I scored or how many tackles I got or, you know, any of that type of stuff. The first thing will always be like, hey, Alex, how's your mom? Alex, how's your brother? So I have a twin brother.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then he'll ask me how I'm doing. And don't you know, like over the years, 30 years, when I see him, it's always the same thing. Alex, how's your mom? How's your brother? How's your family doing? And then how are you doing? So how he recruited me was really, um, it was, I mean, the real reason I came to Oregon because I was I was like this close from going to University of Tennessee, but um, you know it was something that was calling me to Oregon, man. Yeah. What was
1: uh, what was drawing you to Tennessee, and and how do you think that the Recruiting process is different when you were getting recruited versus now with the NIL and all the high profile guys getting this money thrown around at them.
3: So it's, it's not even the the same atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, uh, it's different, you know, with, and now money is starting to influence not just these athletes, but their families and most likely making decisions, not not based off where they should go, but it's based off financial gain. And I think in the long run, it's going to hurt a lot of people. It's going to hurt a lot of relationships, close relationships, because they're not thinking about like, why should, why they should go to a school? What are their big pillars? What are their foundations that they that they're choosing a school? And if it's finances, I don't think that's like taking a job just for the money. It could be the worst job for you. Mm-hmm. But you're thinking just about the money and the finances. And so they use money as an influencer. When really money is just a resource. Right? So, but these these people, these entities are influencing these people who really don't understand what influence is or leadership, what that is. And so they're making they can be making some some horrible decisions because it's not based off something that's stable. And the reason I I didn't choose Tennessee, I I was, I was so close to going, but um, because the SEC, the colors is pretty dope. They were pretty good and um, they were producing NFL caliber players, but, you know, it was an interaction with the, with the head coach that, you know, flipped me. Like I was going to go to Tennessee. And then on my recruiting trip, And I was an All-American. I did all these things. I was just from a little Colorado Springs. And one of the the recruiters, one of the coaches for Tennessee, he had relationships in Denver. And they kept hearing about my name and who I was. Then they watched film and then that's when they started to recruit me. But since I wasn't from a big city, uh, the head coach really didn't know a whole bunch about me. He didn't know that the previous week I was at the university. I was at Colorado University when he had the top twenty-five athletes there. They had like Napoleon Kaufman. They had um, oh, who would they, they They had some dudes from Miami, from all over the country, and I was one of those. And at Tennessee, meeting the head coach, he asked. I mean, he started talking, and then he at the end of it, at the end of his pitch, he said well, Alex, we're thinking about offering you a scholarship. You're thinking about offering me a scholarship. I just had the number one team, the number one head coach in the country in my living room three days ago. And you're thinking about, I was like, no, I'm out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the way you talked about the relationship too with uh, the recruiter, Coach Zoom, you said like, that had to have played a big part just the fact that it was more of a relationship than it was a business. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Absolutely. Relationships are powerful, man. Definitely.
0: I want to kind of dive into your old college football days. Um, You know, just thinking back to that time, I'm curious about who you felt or what you think was either the hardest team you played during that time um, or maybe some of the players that you went up against, if, you, if anything Ooh. comes to mind?
3: Yeah, good question. I think, you know, there's different different times, right? Like mm-hmm. when I was a redshirt freshman and I was starting. And when we went down to play USC, it was like, you know, just a couple of months ago, I'm watching these dudes. I'm watching Curtis Conway rip rip it up. And the next thing you know, I'm guarding like one of the top dudes in the country, Heisman, you know, a Heisman candidate type of cat. And so, and he took my lunch. Golly, he took my lunch. I was a little 19 year old kid and he was destroying me. Um, But USC was tough, they were very tough. They had athletes everywhere. Um, But I want to say, like, that Washington team in that era, whether it was ninety-one, ninety-two, like all the way up to ninety-four, like they were solid. And their defense was really tough. Um, but they had a solid team, great quarterbacks, um, great running back in Napoleon. But uh man, they were scary good. And um, yeah, so I wouldn't say, man, those teams, I mean, even Arizona, you know, with that that defense. They didn't have too much offense, but <laughs> but uh, that defense was, we wanted, we wanted to, we wanted to model that style of play, meaning like it, it's a party, man. You see how many, how many uh, white shirts or white and blue on defense that was swarming to, that was a desert swarm. They swarmed to the ball. We wanted to create that with our, our gang green defense, but uh, there's some good teams, man. USC. Yeah. Um, there's ranks up there, but definitely UW.
0: Yeah. I want to go back to something you mentioned, like when you're talking about when you're going up against the, the Heisman candidate players, and like you said, you were a 19 year old kid then. That mindset that you had then, how did you feel like, you know, getting beat's not easy, you know, like, and then repeatedly like that or something like that. So just curious, like, what did you take from those, um, Interactions against each going against each other and going against some of the best. Like, how did that affect you moving forward?
3: Beautiful man, that's a great question, man. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, it it really taught me how when I'm going up against somebody who I I played video games with. (laughs) I'm playing (laughs) video (laughs) games with these dudes, whether it's Jerry Rice or Barry Sanders, and the next thing you know, I'm facing these guys. I learned this from you know, uh, facing cats like Curtis Conway is they, I gave them a psychological advantage over me because I looked at them differently, like more in awe because they had experience, they had success, they had all these things that I want. And now I'm facing them. And so that taught me like to never give somebody an advantage over me based off of their celebrity so when i would face like jerry rice i remember my first time facing him it was like i was oh this this is the this is the goat before Mm -hmm. there was any other talk of any other goats this was jerry Mm -hmm. rice but what i learned after watching film that he doesn't like physical corners so i'm going to be that physical corner and when i took his his number off of his jersey and mentally i took that number off it was just another guy another guy who ran precise routes who had you know speed he had great size and great quickness but he's just another guy who's really really talented and so when i did that psychologically now i was winning instead of just giving my strength away based off of a cat
1: celebrity. Oh yeah, that's, that makes sense for sure. Um, touching on what Jimmy was asking about toughest teams, kind of more in depth wise, like you guys in the Pac-10 at that time faced a litany of different offenses. Like I seen flexbone triple option, and then you face Oregon State. Yeah. Yep, Oregon State's <laughs> yeah. regular I pro stuff, and then you got Walsh's West Coast stuff at Stanford. Yep. What was the toughest one to prepare for?
3: Um, man, that's a good question, man. You got some good stuff. I think really what you know you said at Stanford and how they used some of their weapons, like Glenn Milburn, Glenn Milburn, who was like this little back, you know, um, who was a matchup nightmare. Because one, his speed and his quickness, but then also how they would hide him or try to hide him and match up him with some linebackers, you know, where really when he's in a game, he's a running threat, but also a pass threat. You have to have like more of a defensive back or safety on him. And so when you do that though, now you're getting that defensive back and more involved in run fits. And that's not our forte. You know what I'm saying? Like we're more for coverage. Is a DB or is a nickel or a dime, And now we we have to understand run fits, and so that that was that was tough, man, facing that those Stanford teams back in the day.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned the personnel matchups. You're talking there they might be in like eleven personnel, say with him in a game, and then now he's you know, flexed out wide one play, and then the next play he's in a backfield and they're running power or whatever. Um, yeah, that's. That's crazy. You played under a bunch of, uh, like, tons of different coaches in in college and in the league, as like Jim Hazlitt and Jim Mora and Willie Shaw and stuff like that. Is there any guy that really stands out to you that you played for that had a huge impact on or off the field?
3: Great question, man. Absolutely. And you said his name, Willie Shaw. Matter of fact, you know, the funny thing is, is I just came from a, a conference where I was the keynote speaker and I had to do like two, four-hour workshops. And I talk about the things that I learned from Willie Shaw. I'll talk about the principles, the foundational principles that that when he gave it to us, and when I was, and it gave me success on the field, and since it gave me a framework of how to think, I just took that same framework and applied it to my life off the field. And it's given me. Even more success in anything that I do, and the funny thing is, is I wear it on my wrist every day, and what he used to coach us on is, a, is assignment, alignment, and adjustment. So you know how he what he taught us, it went far beyond about drills. I had plenty of coaches, I'm not going to name them but who just was drill a drill master. like we would do all type of drills, but very few would teach you skills. Would teach you how to slow the game down. Now, I remember like Willie, we used to be in practice and instead of him beating us up, doing all these different drills at a high intensity, which you do need that. But he understood the game so much that it wasn't so much about doing the drills, but we would walk through different scenarios and he would ask us questions. Questions that helps us understand what an offense is thinking with the offensive coordinator what is he thinking how is he trying to create matchup issues or matchup problems what is a quarterback looking when he going through his when he going through his his cadence but also like number 1 receiver 2 receiver 3 receiver 4 like he slowed the game down coach willie showed, slowed the game down for us cuz he understood man when the game slows down now we can really you know, outperform. We can let our athleticism take over, but you know, early on, the game seems so fast because of the athletes and the schemes. When you understand it, it slows the game down. Now you can play fast.
1: That's funny you bring I'm... that alignment, assignment, adjustment up because I was literally just going to ask you that after <laughs> this one. Um, oh, okay. I was going to, I was going to ask you where you got that from, um, but I hear you talk about it all the time. Can you? Tell me an example of when you would use it in a game situation or practice situation, and then also how you've kind of adapted that and how you wear it on your wrist. How do you adapt that to your, your life now?
3: Oh man, absolutely. Man. So number one, man, Willie came up, I remember like the first meeting we had, it was during a mini camp, our first mini camp, I think it was like in April, right before the draft. And um, I was really excited to, um, you know, to be, Taught by him, um, I say taught purposefully, purposefully. Don't say coach, but he taught us things. He was a teacher, and so what he would do, uh, or at least his first interaction, it was he didn't say a whole bunch. He just watched. He watched us like a hawk. And I remember at the at the end of practice, and I had a pretty good practice. It was my first time coming in as a starter. It was my second year. And, um, you know, after practice, he was like, hey, 2-5, come over here for a second. So I ran over there and I was like, oh, great, man. He hasn't talked to me all practice, man. Maybe he got some some great, you know, he's going to give me a data boys or whatever. And he came over and he said, uh, hey, 2-5, you want to play a long time in this league? And, of course, you know, uh, of course, I said, yes, I want to play a long time. He said, if you want to play a long time, you got to master these three things. And he said, assignment, alignment, and adjustment. He said, Alex, you need to know your job. You need to know your assignment on every play. So, you know, I know, I know what the play looks, the playbook, I know what that looks like. It's a new playbook because we got a new coach, but I knew how to study. I said, okay, uh, okay, I got that, it's easy, that's, that's cake. He was like, no, Alex, you need to learn everybody's position in the secondary and on your defense if you really want to be good oh man, so I'm just looking at through my lens, right? Mm-hmm. I need to be good. I need to know my assignment. No, it's not just that. You need to know other people's assignment. Not that you're know not going to take their job, but you need to know what they're, where they're supposed to be on every snap. When you know what other people's roles are, now you can hold them accountable for where they're supposed to be. And then vice versa, they can hold you accountable. Because I'm, if I'm expecting a strong safety to be in a certain spot, And based off the expectation, I'm playing a certain technique. And if he's doing whatever he wants to do, now that leaves me and the defense at a disadvantage. So when I know everybody's job, then I can be like, hey, man, what were you? What's, What's the deal? You're supposed to be here. What did you see? Right? So knowing, it's not just knowing your job or your assignment, but knowing those people around you and then knowing your alignment. He said, Alex, half the time you was misaligned. So these are the best athletes on earth. And you can't give them any type of advantage. If you're misaligned by one inch, you're beat before the ball is snapped. So I was was like, damn, I never really thought about it like that. He said, yeah, you're, you're lined up. You're supposed to be one yard inside, you're head up. You're supposed to be eight yards off, you played at seven. So make sure you're lined up correctly. Okay, check. Then the last thing is adjustment. You say, Alex, you know, this isn't peewee football. This is the NFL. Nobody just lines up and hikes the ball. You got to be ready for an audible. You got to be ready for a shift. You got to be ready for motion. Every time that happened in practice, you were a step behind. You need to be thinking ahead of, ahead of it. Get ahead of it. Think what if. What do I need to do when things change? And so I've practiced that over and over and over again throughout my years. That's the biggest thing that gave me the most success in the NFL. That's the reason that I was able to do what only three percent only three percent of NFL players do, which is play eight or more years in the NFL. It's not because of my speed, my quickness, but it's because I mastered those three things and so. It gave me success on the field, and so when I was stuck in life, I started to use those same things, those same principles, except now it's like, what's my alignment? How do I align myself? I align myself where it used to I used to be misaligned, but now my faith is first, my family is second, then it's my health and then my career. And so once I started to align myself to those things. And then after, you know, the past couple of years, I've even drilled down a little bit deeper where, no, it's my family, it's my health, it's my career, and then my faith encompasses all of it. So instead of stacking it up, no, my faith is around all of it. So when I coach, you know, or when I speak, you know, my faith should show up. When I'm speaking to my family, to my wife, my faith should be, you know, there. So that's how I got aligned off the field. And my assignment is knowing who I am, knowing what my purpose is. And that took a lot of hard work. It didn't happen overnight. So, knowing exactly who I am, how I operate, what my character is, because for a long time, I didn't know my character. I thought what I did and my abilities on the football field, that was who I was. And then when I stepped away from the game, now I'm stuck, I'm lost because what I did was who I was and that's dangerous. That's dangerous for anybody. Anybody who does something for a long time, I don't care if you're podcasting or if you're, you know, you are a CEO at a company or you're an entrepreneur and when you do so much of that thing and that thing is becomes who you are and when you step away from it, whether you retire or you're fired or you're kicked out like I was of the NFL, you know, that you're, you're lost. And so finding out exactly who you are. So that, that's the um, um, assignment part. And then the adjustment being, you know, making an adjustment in the relationships that I had that weren't working for me, that weren't building me up. Uh, I had to adjust my character. I had to adjust also how I treated people. Your boy, I was very entitled. You know what I'm saying? For so many years, since I was like 14 years old, I got a free pass based off of my ability, based off me playing football, and I was really good at it. As a lot of people that gave me free passes, a lot of them, Mm -hmm. we have the same blood. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So now I understand like I shouldn't get free passes. These athletes, these especially these high school athletes, college athletes now right now. They get treated differently, not by me, because I don't care about their salary I don't care how fast they run a 40. That stuff is way down the list. I, tell you, I care what type of person people are, including these athletes, because they have so much influence. But um, that's a long answer, man. But that was a deep question.
0: That was, that was an awesome yeah, answer. I, I want to touch on a little bit on kind of what you brought up a little bit, because you often hear, you know, Like you said, anybody really who did something for a long time, once you leave that, is kind of sometimes people feel lost. So especially athletes, you know, you grow up playing sport your whole life, and then one day it's just over. So I'm curious if you have any advice or anything that you want to share that maybe who doesn't have the foundations like you have, like the you know the alignment, assignment, adjustment, but or maybe just something you've learned over the years. um, Any words of wisdom? to kind of make that adjustment a little bit easier out of sports or whatever it is that they do into defining who they are.
3: Yeah. Don't trust the process. I, I hate cliches. And I used to be the king of cliches when I was playing ball, <laughs> and I thought I was clever. Right? But don't trust the process. If anything you're going to trust, you trust the framework. My assignment, alignment, and adjustment – And then me understanding what leadership is, that helped me so much. That helped me so much get out of that funk, get unstuck. You know what I'm saying? So, when you start to find out what influence is, now I can now I know when influence is when somebody's trying to influence me, and then also when I'm trying to influence others, and I'm very intentional. If you're if you're intentional. Right? And some of us, because of, you know, the sport and the popularity, especially of football here in America, you know, when you're really good, people tend not to tell you the truth with about your character. You can look at the John Morantz of today. I don't believe his father even tells him the truth about his character. So I think the number one thing is is you need to find out exactly who you are, number one. Number two, you need to create or have relationships from people who care more about you than they do how you feel. All right, because people can lie. It's easy for somebody to lie and, and tell you what you want to hear. That's not love for me. That's not love. You love me, you tell me the truth. Right. So um I think th- those are some things like, like just briefly off of that question, um, that just came off the, you know, my top of my yeah, top of my dome. So. But, you know, follow, have a framework, but trusting a process, because your process could be different, Jimmy. Your process could be different than yeah. Coach B's and different than Jacob's, based off of your education, based off of your you know your heritage, based off of um, how you grew up, how, how much money you had, and what type of school system. Your process could be totally different than what mine what mine is. So now it's like, well, what process are you talking about? So I don't believe in that. Trust the framework. Great
2: answer. I appreciate
3: I that.
1: that. Yeah. Yes, sir. I again, I'm I'm gonna keep kind of pushing it back to football, just because. I'm an addict for the scheme talk. From the clips that I've seen of you, you looked extremely comfortable in press, man. Um, but also you look super comfortable in, you know, spot drop zone, read the quarterback type stuff too. What, what type of player do you think that you would be in today's game?
3: Mm, what all depends. Are you talking now at forty nine, or or at my prime?
0: Twenty (laughs) three prime time. Prime time.
3: Okay. (laughs) No, I. I think, man, my game and what's going on now. Number one, I'd be too too small to play on the outside. So I would be a nickel. nickel, I would be a nickel like my son. But I don't know if I'm that. You know. I can't, I don't know if I'm that physical <laughs> or if I was that physical, <laughs> even though I played nickel, like, you know, on third downs, I moved into nickel, but that was just because nobody else wanted to. And I wanted to get on the field as a rookie. And so I, I raised my hand, I played nickel. And so I learned that. And that was just my spot. And, it, you know, I, I played on left corner and then on third downs, I was moving to the inside. But I think in today's game, I would be more of an inside type of guy, even though I had the speed, you know, on the outside um, and, and the quickness. But I think now. The way and I hate, you know, when coaches, they they kind of uh, pigeonhole cats, depending on their size, whether you're going to play outside corner or if you're under six feet then you're automatically nickel, that's terrible. I mean, Daryl Green. You trying to tell me he couldn't play on the outside in today's game in his prime? Please, yeah,
1: definitely.
2: you
3: know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, but I think I'll be more, you know, a uh, inside type of slot guy.
1: Yeah, that's that makes sense. I do, yeah. I mean, uh, Seattle just drafted Devin Witherspoon. I think he's the same height as you. I think he's like 5'10", and he's an outside corner. But definitely teams are more favored towards size and different positions nowadays, absolutely. Yeah.
3: Say like, I hate that being, you know, pigeonholing cats based off of a number instead of like watching them and see their 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 football or whatever sport they play, what their IQ is.
1: I mean, you say you, you know? weren't, you don't know if you were physical enough to play in a slot, but I seen plenty of clips of you being physical. So I don't think that would have been a problem, to be honest. Yeah,
3: man. Maybe it's just, I don't remember all that stuff. You know, I remember all the, the big plays down the field. I don't remember any like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> coming in and laying, laying the wood. I don't know if that was all that sexy, but, um, yeah, (laughs) I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just, you know, as you mentioned your son in the league, um, I know you do, you work with high level athletes. I'm curious, just kind of your thoughts and kind of, maybe you weren't even thinking about this back then, but, do you see any differences between athletes in your generation and the athletes of now, specifically on how they take, you know criticism coaching?
3: Um, I would say, and you know, I coach high school football, I coach defensive backs, and so I think now, you know with these guys is you have to be really good and understanding influence as a coach. Because it's just like parenting. You have to make corrections early. So meaning, you know, like this, I'm sure we've all seen these, these kids, right? You know, these young kids, they're three or four years old, and they're at Target, and they don't get what they want. And then all of a sudden, they start throwing a temper tantrum. And they get on the ground, they start stomping their feet and whirling along and whatnot. And I'm just looking at I've always look at parents and be like, what the hell? What? You gonna let this slide? You know, and what happens is they don't make corrections early on because little Susie is so cute. Right? She has so oh, she's so pretty, she's so cute. All right, oh, she's so sweet. It's the same way where you know with these cats, you know, especially if they have a lot of ability. And they, they tend to, you know, not make those corrections because they're really fast or really good or all that type of stuff. For me, the first day is so important. I set the standard on the first day, what I will tolerate and what I won't tolerate. And what the standard is, they created. meaning I asked them, where do they want to go as a team? And then personally, like with this football thing, you want a scholarship, what do you what do you want to do? Are you doing it for the girls? What, you know, because it takes a certain type of character to get to that place where you want to go. And I asked them, are you willing to become that person? And so when you get buy-in early on, now they're more likely to follow your lead. And you can always just look at, Hey man, you said back, back in June, that you were going, you wanted to to do this. You want to go to this place. And all I'm doing, you're getting upset at me, but I'm just holding you to your own words, your own goals. Now, if you want to change them, that's that's no problem. But I'm going to hold you to your own words. And so when you, when you start off like, and I didn't used to do that. You know, I just thought that everybody would listen to me because I played in the NFL right. and now I'm sharing my knowledge. It's not like that. Now it's, now it's like, you know, it, they're looking for this relationship. You know, so I try to create relationships with my players. I try to create them with, with everybody on the team. But, you know, it's hard to spend time with offensive linemen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's a great answer. I'm going into my sixth year coaching high school ball, and I definitely have been trying to trend that way of, like, kind of nipping stuff in the bud as early as possible. um you know when i was i think i started coaching like 23 24 so like it it was Mm -hmm. difficult at first being not too late out of high school and trying to get people that you're not that much older than to really kind of align their views with yours but that's a good i like to having them write down their goals and then holding them to their words I, i like that for sure
3: yeah yeah absolutely man it's um it's really helped me over the years to, uh, to now, they can't get mad at me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> well, You're going to get <laughs> mad at me, you're getting mad at yourself. I'm just holding up a mirror.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: here's the thing, is like how I coach my players is the same way how I, t- how I coach celebrities, how I coach entrepreneurs, how I coach Fortune 500 executives, is I find out where they want to go what they want to achieve, and then we backtrack. Who do you need to become? What relationships do you need to make or break or change to get you to where you want to be? You know what I'm saying? So I'm just, I, I know how to do that now. And so, um, um, you know, that's one of the things that I love working with, with athletes, with former athletes who are stuck because I've been there. I've been stuck. You know, not knowing who I am, not knowing what the next step is, not knowing like what type of value I have outside of the sport. You know, I, I, I've i been there. So I love sharing that knowledge with those folks.
0: Yeah, just a big, really big on like reflection, right? So what it sounds like to me. Um, curious, where do you feel like you've learned that skill? Like, was it from previous coaches or just kind of? you know, combination of that and life experiences and just, you know, become a little bit more wiser?
3: Um, well, I think it's a combination, right? Combination of my experiences and looking back, definitely like me becoming a speaker, a a professional speaker and the stories that I talk about, they come from my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know any others, you know, I, I know other stories that I could probably tell, but it's not as, um, it doesn't like, st- it's not sticky as coming from yourself. So, um, the stories that I look at and I dissect both the great things that happen, but more the bad things, the negative things, the failures, because I know that's more relatable. Right. So, but, you know, my experience of also hiring a coach myself, I got a coach myself, you know, for helping me understand leadership, understand like how uh I mean anything that i that i do i wrote a book you damn you better believe i uh i got myself a book coach you know i want to improve my speaking in my business i got a speaking coach i got a leadership coach i got a podcast coach so that's my secret weapon man and um um i i just you know more people should be investing in themselves you know with getting somebody and you can you know the the cool things you get to choose. Like a lot of time in my life, I didn't get to choose who led me. You know, I didn't get to choose. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the coach that I wanted to 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 coach me. So, but after ball, now I understand I get to choose, and I get it, and, and I do it based off of a number of things. Uh, but character is the number one.
2: Absolutely.
1: You got. I'm glad you talked about your book and your and your podcast. So after you retired, you were a trainer for I think you said like around 13 years at, at Nike. Yep. And then you uh you started your the Shark Effect podcast, wrote your the ultimate playbook for high achievement book. My question is, is there an overarching theme when it comes to or what you cover in your motivational speaking, in your playbook, on your podcast that you find yourself always kind of harping back to that you wish everyone could understand a little better?
3: You know, the the big overarching thing is, is, uh, you know, we, we all can make an impact in somebody's life. I can have a conversation, and I've had conversations with people, with strangers. And based off that conversation, like my deepest conversations, the best, more and most impactful conversations have been on airplanes, <laughs> because now I got somebody close to me, and they can't—they can't escape me, you know. And <laughs> I make you know. it really—I make it really hard for people to not like me. I don't, you know. I used to have at a certain time. I didn't care if you liked me or not. Now I challenge myself, you know. Even though the disposition, the RBF, the all that stuff, they can they can have they can have that look, and I was like, they're gonna walk away and they're gonna be, they're gonna, my goal, they're gonna be better. And so I've had like tear of talking with people, there's tears from me and from them, right? And but it it really comes down to being intentional, um knowing that the things that you do, the words that you say, the actions that you take can have a huge impact on somebody's life for the better. And so for me, I want to make this world, I want to make this world a better place. And it starts right here in my house. And I have eight little influencers <laughs> or not anymore. They're all, they're growing up, but but I can start in my house making better people. And when, it's, and I got some athletes, like our eighth grader, he's, He's, he's he's tracking to be really really good. But I I tell him, I don't he's a great athlete, great football player, and I shared my knowledge because he asked for it. But I make sure that I don't lead with his ability. I lead with his character. I lead with man because you're going to be doing some great things and this sport is so it's, it's so elevated. It's put on a pedestal, you're going to be a leader and you might not be ready for it. Not everybody's ready for leadership just because they're smart or they're good or they're pretty. That doesn't make them good leaders. People get bumped into leadership positions every day in America and they know nothing about leadership. They know nothing about influence. But based on you know going up the, the scale or not to scale. What they call the the corporate ladder, they, mm-hmm. to get more leadership roles. You know, they it's automatic that they mm-hmm. are a good leader. That's that's not that's not the case. So, um, you know, I'm just making a point to make sure that him and my kids. And I want them to be good people first. I want them to to make good decisions, and then when there's bad decisions or bad things happen to them, I want them to be I want them to be able to overcome it, to overcome failure. you know does that make sense because there's a lot of parents that out sense. there they don't want their kids to fail. For me, I look at it totally opposite. No, I want them to fail. I want them I want them to go to go through struggle, and it's great if it can happen in a safe environment, right? Sports is a safe environment, I think.
2: Makes perfect sense.
1: I think you're uh, I seen something that your son might have gotten looked at or maybe a, a little early offer from, from Oregon already.
3: Yeah, he got five. Five, he five got already. Five, oh yeah. wow. Yeah, he hasn't even touched foot on a on a varsity football field or at least the game. But you know, it's based off of relationship, mm-hmm. right? The relationship he has with me the relationship he has with his big brother who's in the NFL, you know, and um, it's just based off of that. It's not really based off his first name, not just yet. Yeah. So I make sure to tell him that, and so does Elijah.
1: But with that mentality that you're giving him, I mean, he's going to – his ceiling is super high just because now he knows he's in a safe place to fail, but also he's got the character to back up his production on the field which is the best of both worlds. Cause, I mean, you've coached high school ball. like I've seen it where I've had kids, not to the University of Oregon level, that they're going to go play there, but I've had you know lower D1 kids come through, and sometimes they're great players and not great kids. Sometimes they're great both. Those mm-hmm. ones always end up being more successful than the ones who aren't great characters or don't have great
2: character, for sure.
3: Yeah, so I just make sure that for 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 him that that character piece that's number one, and then I don't give free passes, so that's number one. And I reward stuff, um, you know, when it's when it's when someone when there's another parent that calls me or texts me and tell me, you know, that he opened the door for, you know, a lady at the grocery store. That's what I reward. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I do. Backflips, I'm giving don't he love donuts. I give him a donut, I do all the other stuff. <laughs> you get an interception and stuff, that's you're supposed to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rewarding that. You know. And so for me, and also, you know, you ask how I keep him, you know, with this mind that, you know, there's other things to do to uh to accomplish, is I, I tell the truth. I said, man, look, you play football in, in Oregon. Nobody respects high school football in Oregon. I'm sorry.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm sorry. It's been like that for for ages. And so, what we do, I tell them. I said, I tell them that you, you're supposed to be dominant. You're in Oregon. It's not a ton of like super athletes. There's 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 some dudes, but mm-hmm. not like it is in California, not like it is in you know Louisiana or in Texas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's other cats who have more skin. They have More grit than him, and even maybe more athleticism. But they don't—they might not have a dad and a brother that played at the highest level and knows how to share that knowledge. So you have an edge. But that dude is willing to knock down doors. He's willing to run over his mama (laughs) (laughs) to, to get to where you where you want to go. And where your brother and your dad has been, you just pray that you don't have to. You never face that dude, or you got to be you got to be more ready than you are. So I take him out to these different places to see him in other environments that there could be kids better better than them.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Oregon definitely is not respected for high school football. Yeah, I'll sure. be honest, not, not like Cali. Yeah,
0: yeah, Cali, Texas. All that, yeah. nope, yeah. not the same. Um. Just wanted to real quick ask, like, um, it's hard to kind of look back and be like, I wish I did things differently because you wouldn't be where you're at today without that. But if there was anything you could do to help set yourself up post-career while you were in the NFL, um, you know, for post-retirement and kind of get you started in what you're doing now, was there anything that you maybe wish you did a little bit differently or maybe started sooner?
3: Absolutely. I wish I would have did some internships when I was in college. I wish I would have created some relationships with cats who had businesses where, you know, I had maybe a little bit of interest in. I would have created relationships. I would have, you know, there was plenty of opportunities for us to go to um, events at every every team I was with in the pros. And I would go, but I was too cool for school. I wouldn't talk to people. I was just there because, man, the, the front office asked me to be there. So what I would have done differently is I would have started creating these relationships because I didn't know that these cats who powerful, they can they can make funk and they have powerful friends they have a lot of influence but i didn't understand how impactful that was where if i would have created a relationship because yeah they would have they could say that um you know there was maybe good friends or they had dinner or they played golf with the NFL player or maybe former NFL, but Mm -hmm. understanding like that window, it closes pretty quick once you stop playing football. Mm -hmm. So those CEOs, those those executive, those business owners, they would pick up the phone when you were playing. A year later, if you stop playing, they ain't picking up the phone. So I wish I would have understood that a little bit more and started creating relationships with cats who who, um, who, are in a space where I could likely end up at?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, You've been that.
1: doing your podcast now for like over three years, right? The Shark of yeah, Podcast. Yeah. Yes, sir. Who, who would you say is like your main target listener for that? And what's the um, biggest so- challenge to getting people to kind of tune in?
3: Oh, uh, that's a good question. I'm just- I don't want my computer to die on y'all, but um <laughs> so so my target listener, man, is that that athlete, no matter what sport they played, they could have stopped playing six months ago or 30 years ago. And they are still or could be stuck in not moving forward and not using this this platform of them being an elite level athlete. And when I say elite, that means, and you play, if you play past high school, you're elite. I don't care if you just I don't care if you walk-on at a Division two school. That's elite for me. You're playing football, you're playing a sport, uh, basketball, swimmer, with a soccer, past high school. For me, that's elite. And so my podcast is to help those people move forward and use their influence to, 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 to do things that they really, um, um, that they really love. And so, you know, I help those, I help those people with the conversations that I have with my guests or my solo episodes is to help them see things differently or do it through a different lens. And yeah, man, I've dropped. Episode, I think 145 last week. So this week could be one hundred forty six, man. It started uh back in March two thousand and twenty. I wonder what right at the beginning what of the then? pandemic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. You got any
0: other uh questions for him, Jimbo? I mean, just last one. I have a Tim Brown jersey up there, and I know you played for the Chargers. You haven't, did you ever have to go up against Tim Brown? Or he had to go up against out? me, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, there you go.
3: <laughs> it, was, it was tough, man. The thing about Tim Brown is for his size, he had a lot of shake. But he didn't have deep speed when I was playing him. So he was a slot receiver for the most part in the third down. So I would face him a lot on the outside and then on the inside. And he was very shifty one thing I didn't like about him is he had a complaint every snap. He was complaining to the referee every snap. He's holding, he's doing this, he's doing that. And it was like, oh, my gosh, man, just play ball. He was like the LeBron James or the um, – trying to think of the soccer player who always – uh, all, all of them. Y'all know yeah, all of them. Oh, my gosh. That was That was Tim Brown. But I have a lot of respect for him. He was a, uh, a hell of a football player.
1: Nice. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to ask you about a very specific play you had in college. Um, just a little scheme talk. In 95, you're playing Oregon State. and I hope you remember the you, – you say you remember the big plays, so we'll, okay. we're about to find out. In 95, <laughs> okay. you're playing Oregon State. They run like – it looks like they're an I – it's like the Y off to the right. They looks like they're running like a fake speed option that turns into a play-action pass. Outside receiver, it's hard to see because I don't have the you know the full all-22 angle. It's just the, the TV copy. And it looks like the outside guy starts to run like a drag or an over, and then uh, the camera moves, and then you see him vertical, so maybe he stemmed to vertical. Tight end looks like he's running the same. And you midpoint both of those receivers that are are, are deep, um, and make the interception get a pretty decent return out of it. Um, what coverage was that? Because I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, I see the safety roll down pre snap outside the tight end, and I was like, that could be just three sky or with the speed option. Are they running like two invert, which you plan a deep half to get you on top of everything and bring the safety more of the Kind of the run fit guy down to play the speed option?
3: Mm. Great question. And number one, when you watch enough film, when you spend a lot of time with people, you start to find out exactly who they are, right? You start to find out their character. We knew Oregon State's character after watching so much film. And when you're trying to trick people, the thing about Trying to trick people, it needs to look exactly the same.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So when they used to do that little BS play action and the quarterback used to stay next to the line of scrimmage and he'd do these high knees like he's running, you don't do that normally. This is a pass. And so on that particular play you're talking about, we had the safety. Anytime we would see that type of action, he had free reign to, to come out the middle of the field and rob he became a robber. And then I was basically the, you know, his backup. I had the the deep middle, you Got know? It. So um, it looked like, you know, maybe it could look like a blown coverage, but based off of their, their play action pass, which is very limited at the time, they were terrible, a terrible passing team. <laughs> um, when they try to do that. And then we knew it was going to happen on most likely third and long, you know, <laughs> it's like, come on, man. You, why are you doing play action and it's third and 10? We know you're not mm-hmm. going to run the ball, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's third and 10. And the, especially when they do this little BS play action, you know, quarterback deal. So, um, yeah, man, just you, 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 you try to find out exactly who teams are. And then you try to make them play left handed. And that's what we did, you know, against Oregon State.
1: Film study. So important i have Absolutely. to show my kids that, a
3: tell them yeah. former Oh, I, I'll tell you one. Here, here's a good one, if you remember that same, uh, on not, not the year previous, in 1994, we played Washington. So we played Washington at our house, and this happened, and this was before, like, the famous Kenny Wheaton interception, right? But I got an interception earlier on in that game, and it set us up for our first score. And it came off a of film state. So I would watch so much film and I would watch like the tape, like like regular people, I would mm-hmm. watch that and I would watch it from the bird's eye view. Well, I watched so much tape that I want to see what does a team do off of or after a timeout? Mm-hmm. An offense. And so I watched that film and I knew that what they like to do is get Damon Heard, Ho- Heard whatever, like that. Damon Heard, yeah. like Damon that. h yeah, my guy, <laughs> he's a good dude. But they want to get him back in rhythm. So they would do a safe type of throw, a quick hitch, maybe a mm-hmm. speed out, something like that to get him back in rhythm. And I remember watching film and I was like, okay. And they also did that close to their sideline you know, to kind of get things going. So I remember after a timeout.
1: That's the one you fell I, down,
3: and, huh, on a pick six? Yeah, 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 yeah that's new. the okay. one, that's the one. <laughs> yep. Now, you know what coverage I was in?
1: I mean, it looked it looked like it was middle of the field coverage. So I was like, you think it covered three or, or uh, cover it one? Was but... cover,
3: it was cover three. Yeah. How in the hell do I pick off a five-yard out and cover three? You shouldn't, especially if you're bailing. (laughs) I wasn't even bailing. You know what I was doing? I intentionally backed up to nine yards because I wanted Damon to see Mm. a soft corner. Gotcha. I barely backpedaled because I knew based off the film study, based off the third down, based off where the ball was at, and based off that receiver's alignment, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And, and so I jumped, you know, I, I, once I do it, right, right before the snap, I was giggling inside saying, how am I, I going to celebrate this when I get into the end zone? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, when you do enough film study, you find out people's character. And when you find out people's character or a team's character, the beautiful thing is you can predict behavior. And that's exactly what I did on that play both
1: plays. That yeah, makes perfect sense. I'm about to show this to my kids. So now they, know they, my they get some more incentive get them, get to watch in more s- film. Yeah, yep.
0: Get them in there, watching. Need TV. to always
1: get them film hours up on huddle for sure.
0: Yep. There you go.
1: All right, man. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, you're awesome to speak to. We learned a lot. I learned a ton. I'm sure. Jimbo learned a oh, yeah. ton as well. Um, can only thank you. We can't thank you enough. Um, you know, if you guys want to check out, he's got the Shark Effect podcast. He's got the Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. He does motivational speaking. If you're a head coach at a college or high school and you need some motivational speaking for your team, go, in, go ahead and go to his uh, his website. I believe it's alexspeaks.com. Or Alex, Alex
3: Molden Morgan. Speaks got or it. just alexmolden.com. But yeah, got it. Perfect. any of those. Perfect.
0: I appreciate, right, appreciate you. It. Thank you so much for your time, Ooh, man. Hey, this was
3: this was a lot of fun, man. You guys asked some phenomenal questions. um Let's make sure we do this again.
1: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We'll, be, we'll,
3: <laughs> we'll hold you to for it. that.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> Sounds good.
1: All right. Appreciate
2: all right. you. Have yeah, a good night. Thank you. all right